Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the 8th chapter of Luke. It's found on page 841 in the Pew Bible. Just then, there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. While he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all weeping and wailing for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Ms. Marlene. I love that passage. I love that story. I love that, I love that story so much. It teaches us about the greatness of our God. I love the place in there where Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, Don't be afraid. Have faith. Just believe. And she will be saved. Today we're continuing our series called Good to Great in God's Eyes. Talking about the ways that we can leave behind the good and move towards the great in the eyes of our God. Bringing great glory to the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Each week in this series, we have been looking at two practices that help us move on towards spiritual greatness. Not for our own accord, but always to the glory of God. And today we're looking at two prospects as well, two ideas, two ways that we can move towards greatness in the kingdom. The first is that we're going to talk about praying great prayers. And then we're going to spend some time talking about taking great risks. But let's start with a conversation around prayer. You know, when a few of the members on our amazing church staff here, by the way, you know, in October there's a... um, there's Pastor Appreciation uh, Sunday, and uh, some folks on our staff set up a little bagel cart in, in my office for Monica and I that day, which was sweet. Can you hold me to account on this? We need to have a staff appreciation day sometime because, can I just tell you, we have about 80 people on staff all told, not not all are full-time. you got some people in the in the preschool, you've got some people who help with kids care, you've got about 25 ministry staff. These are amazing people, they're a blessing to my life, and my guess is they're a tremendous blessing to your life, and that maybe these are some of the spiritual leaders in your life, so I hope we'll have a chance to celebrate them. But as as this staff and I came together, and, and we were talking about the prospect of, of this conversation we were going to have about prayer, what was really touching to me was the, the honesty and the openness that some of these wonderful people on the staff had when they said, you know, Rob, we, we want to be good. We want to have these exceptional prayer lives. 
but we don't know how. And it was just an intense, honest moment. And so what I thought we could do as we talk about praying great prayers is talk about three simple ideas that help us as followers of Christ to pray great prayers. And here's the first characteristic of them. Great prayers focus on Jesus. Great prayers focus on Jesus. So often our lives are myopic. Our tendency is just to focus on ourselves and the people who are closest to us and we never, we never get on the balcony. We never see any other perspective and, and we can even take that, that myopia into our prayer lives. We can tend to make our prayer lives all about us. Wow, that is not a great prayer. Great prayers focus on Jesus. I just, I want to dwell on this for a moment. I want to look at some of the ways that our, our focusing on ourselves can be detrimental. Focusing on Christ can, can set us free. So, uh, you know, when I have a tendency to focus on myself, I'll say something like, I don't have enough. But when I let the voice of God loose inside of me, I'll hear God say something like God says in Philippians that God will supply all of my needs. When I'm focusing on myself, I'll say things like, I'm overwhelmed. But when I focus on Christ, I hear that God's grace is sufficient. It's too difficult. Comes face to face with, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I feel alone. I can't forgive. Encounters the reality of Christ who says, I will always be with you. And because I have forgiven you, now you can forgive someone else. My point is this. Oftentimes we bring the myopic, self-centered reality of our lives into our prayer. But when our prayer focuses on Jesus, not only does it help to make our prayers great, but it begins to infuse our lives and help our lives be less about us and more about God and others. Great prayers focus on Jesus. Secondly, great prayers not just focus on Jesus. Great prayers are intensely and deeply personal. Great prayers are deeply, deeply personal. They're vulnerable. They're real. You know, my first few days while I was in Africa, I, uh, I don't mind confessing to you, I was, I was amazed at how homesick I was. Um, See, I've done long deployments, long times away from home, but what occurred to me is this was actually the longest time I'd ever been away from my wife and kids because the times that I was in the Air Force and doing those long deployments, I was not yet married, and of course I didn't have kids. It was it was really hard, and, and I really spent the first few days praying and, and telling this to God. And you know one of the things I think is so interesting about our relationship with God is that I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes I'll be in prayer and I'll discover that I am wearing a mask. The same mask that I put on sometimes when I talk to other people, the mask that, that tries to hide the hurts that, is in, that are inside me or the inadequacies that live inside of me, I'll find myself wearing that mask in front of God. How ridiculous is that? But I find myself doing it. When I'm willing to be deeply personal with God, telling God the truth, when I confessed to God about the fact, you know, I am yeah, just missing my family. It was just a matter of days and... God took that from me. And I just, I just want to say one more thing about that. I, I want to celebrate our, our military women and men who have long, long deployments at times away from their wives or husbands, their children and their loved ones. I want to say God bless you to you. Uh, I want to remind you that next Sunday we're going to celebrate the veterans among us and their families. But I didn't want to miss that opportunity to say to those people who regularly, regularly step away from their families for a longer season than we did, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for your sacrifice. Great prayers focus on Jesus. Great prayers are deeply personal, and Jesus taught us this. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to give himself up for the world? He kneels down in the garden and he prays and he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What a profoundly vulnerable thing to say. But that's not where the prayer ended, nor is it where the lesson on prayer ends. Great prayers focus on Jesus. Great prayers are deeply personal. And great prayers champion God's agenda. Great prayers champion God's agenda. Jesus doesn't end his prayer in Gethsemane by saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He goes on to say, but not my will, your will be done. Great prayers are always making those statements. Not my will, yours be done. Our bishop in the Virginia Conference of Methodism is a, is a woman by the name of Sharma Lewis, and she is a remarkable woman, a truly gifted leader. Before Bishop Lewis was our bishop, our bishop was Bishop Young Jin Cho, also a remarkable leader, a man of great prayer and spiritual depth. Well, Bishop Cho once was describing the day that he was elected as a bishop by the Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church, and he recounts quite vividly, that he was in dead last and was really happy about that because the truth is nobody wants to be a bishop, okay? We just don't. Nobody wants to be a bishop. He was in dead last place. He was doing, he was like, sweet. And then he prayed this prayer. He said, oh Lord, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else got elected on the next ballot. (laughs) Great prayers. Great prayers focus on Jesus. Great prayers are deeply personal, authentic, and real. Great prayers champion God's agenda, not my will. Yours be done. Let me say one other thing. We've got a group of folks here on our team called the worship team. They help evaluate, help the pastors evaluate worship services and help plan future worship services. And uh, the worship team came up with this idea as they were thinking about this teaching time, and I wanted to share it with you. I thought it had some really great merit. They were talking about the fact that there is, there is this syndrome that can happen called imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome, when it comes to prayer, can, can be this syndrome, where it's the belief that I'm not sufficiently righteous or holy or educated or trained to be praying. So when I pray, I feel like an imposter. Now, my guess is that these few honest folks on our team were not the only ones to feel that way, that maybe there are other people in this room who, when they pray, particularly in public, but also in private, can feel as if they're imposters. And I just wanted to take a moment to address this imposter syndrome with you. Think with me for a moment about all the lengths that God went to to be in relationship with you. All, all over the course of time, not only did God create you and go through covenant after covenant after covenant, which we broke, but God was faithful to, then in the end, the final covenant God makes with the world, God becomes enfleshed, and though it costs God everything, God sends Christ to the cross and conquers hell and sin and death, all so that God can be in relationship with us. What we have to understand is that the ability to talk to, to be in communication with our God, is our spiritual birthright. As children of the King, when we walk into the throne room of God, we walk in boldly, not as imposters. We walk in as if we are children of the King because, my friends, we in fact are.
It is the spiritual birthright of the children of God to speak to our Father in heaven. So do it well. Do it with greatness to bring glory to Christ. Next thing I want to talk about is not just praying great prayers. I want to talk about how we can also um, take great risks. But in order to add a padding between the two teachings, I wanted to tell you a story from the last couple of weeks. So my friend Tina DeBosier went uh, on this trip. She's the director of mission and outreach. And while Tina was there, she got kind of sick. Now, uh, here's the agreement I have with her. She agreed to let me tell this story, but you're not allowed to go up to her after worship and say, are you feeling better? She will hate that, okay? She'll hate it. You can walk up to her and say, Tina, have you got somewhere for me to volunteer? She would like to hear that from you, okay? And she will say yes and plug you in, but don't ask her how she's feeling because she's feeling much better. But while she was sick, I was actually a little concerned for her. In fact, at one point, our team took her over to Mercy Hospital to check and make sure she didn't have malaria. Yeah. So anyway, she didn't, by the way. Um, so she comes back to, to where we're staying and uh, sends a text message to her, her husband and, uh, and says, um, Honey, I just want to let you know that I've, I've been kind of sick. They took me to Mercy Hospital and checked me for malaria. Um, interestingly, there was a goat ahead of me in line at the lab. To which Tom, her husband, responds, Oh no, I hope the goat's okay. (laughs) I just love that they have that kind of relationship, right? You're sick, I know, I still love you, and I'm funny. So uh, it was great, yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about taking great risks, as my friend Tom did there. Uh, how do, I believe that Jesus Christ calls us, that God calls us to be people who take great risks. We can't be faithful and comfortable at the same moment. We have to be willing to take risks if we are going to fulfill the potential that God has placed inside of us. So how do we go about fulfilling this potential? How do we go about taking great risks for the kingdom of God? Well, again, I want to talk about just a couple of things to keep in mind as we dream about this. And here's the first thing I think we need to keep in mind. We, as followers of Christ, if we're going to take great risks, we need to refocus our fear. And what I mean by that is, first of all, we got to understand fear. You know, the Bible talks about fear in a couple of different ways. In particular, Hebrew has two words for fear. One is the word piquata. Piquata is the, the fear of punishment. It's what we normally think of as fear. Bad stuff's going to happen to me. But there is another word that is used in Hebrew for fear, and that word is yira. And yira means to be in awe. It's like standing next to the Grand Canyon and seeing the majesty of the Grand Canyon. Standing next next to the ocean and seeing how big it is and how small we are, it's being in awe. Most often, when the Bible translates the word fear, it is translating the word yira when it's talking about fear in relationship with our God. In our scripture passage today, Jairus brings his daughter to Jesus, and as he walks into that situation, Jairus is concerned about the potential consequences of what's about to happen. His daughter is sick, and she could die. He walks in worried about the challenges of the given situation, but he walked out of his encounter with Jesus in awe of the living God because of what Christ had done. Here's, I think, a great question. If we are going to take great risks for the kingdom of God, we need to answer this question. What will we hold in greater awe? Will I be more afraid of the circumstances or more in awe of my God? Because if I'm going to take great risks for God, first thing I've got to know is that my God is great enough to support me as I take those greater risks. So what will I hold in greater awe? The challenges I face in my life or my God? My hope is that we will be far more in awe of God 
than we are afraid of the challenges we could face along the way. A second thing we need to keep in mind as we're talking about taking great risks is we need to be willing to recall our faith. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, Eugene Peterson uh, translated, well, he didn't translate, he paraphrased the Bible. You know, the first widely marketed paraphrase is called the Message Bible. Some of you might have the message with you here today. And I love the way he paraphrased 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what it says. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. If we are going to take great risks for the kingdom of God, all you need to remember is that God will never... Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, never. No, 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 you did it wrong. you got to say it like T.D. Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes would say it. Say, never. Go ahead. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. We can't take risks for the kingdom of God if we think God isn't going to show up when things get heavy. All we need to remember, all we need to remember is that God will never let us down. And just one more thing about taking great risks for the kingdom. If we're going to take great risks for the kingdom of God, we have to remember that faith is a verb. Faith is a verb. It's an action word. You've heard me talk about this probably three times before. But one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. According to Matthew, these are the last words Jesus speaks before he gets arrested. And here's what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes and the holy angels with him, he's going to divide the nations before him as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to place the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. He's going to turn to the sheep and he's going to say, come you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're going to say, Lord, when... When were you hungry or thirsty or naked or stranger or sick or in prison? We came to you and he's going to say, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. Enter into your rest. And then he's going to turn to those on his left. And he's going to say, depart from me. You cursed of the devil and everlasting fire prepared for Satan and his angels because I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was sick and you didn't come to me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. And they're going to say, Lord, when? And he'll say, I tell you the truth, whenever you did not do it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did not do it unto me. Brothers and sisters, the difference, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. Pastor, are you saying what we believe doesn't matter? No. I'm saying what we believe, our faith will cause us to act because faith is a verb. I've had the blessing these last couple of weeks to bear witness as this faith has been in action in Sierra Leone. I want to share with you a picture that uh, comes from Fengahoon Village. This picture was taken in Fengahoon Village. I want to describe some of the people who are in this picture. If you look at the young man standing up all the way in the back right, his name is JB. 
He is the associate director of the Child Rescue Center. JB grew up at the CRC. He was orphaned during the Sierra Leonean Civil War, and he grew up there. Now he's the associate director. The young man on the bottom left in the blue shirt standing up, his name is Muhammad. Muhammad is a brilliant young man. He actually was born in Fengahun Village, but he, he went to university. He got his degree and a great education. Brilliant young man. And now he is the director of outreach ministries for Mercy Hospital. You see the guy all the way in the back in the white shirt who's not terribly pleased to be in the picture? <laughs> that is the chief of Fengahun Village. It was a great privilege to meet uh, the chief there in Fengahun. He took us around and, and showed us the village. He walked by different places and showed us different things that were problems. He walked by a number of sites that would have made for great wells if they could just reach water. He told us about the fact that they don't have enough water to give to their children. He showed us time after time after time places where there used to be toilets, but they've fallen in, and now their people have to go to the restroom in the bush. He took us to one one building. It's their medical building. Fengahun is is the lead village. 22 other villages receive services here in Fengahun, primarily health care services. Their health facility has four rooms in it to service 23 villages. Phase one of our work in Fengahun Village is to address some of those needs. They need water, Ebenezer Church is going to give them wells. They need toilets, Ebenezer Church is going to give them bathrooms. They need a bigger health facility, Ebenezer Church is going to give them a bigger health facility. But that's just phase one, that's addressing the symptoms of poverty. If we really, really want to make a difference in these people's lives, we've got to go beyond addressing the symptoms of poverty. And that's where the second phase comes into play. See, those other five people, two women, three men, those other five people were villagers. They were elected while we were there in town. And together, those seven people, along with the chief in the back, those seven people are going to guide an economic enterprise designed to help get Fengahun an economy. And here's what I think is so interesting about it, is that we have very little to say. We're going to help them with the grant. But they get to decide where their community is going. They get to make those decisions together. They get to make decisions about their future. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to watch and be part of. They get to do it. And they came up with an idea. See, uh, one of the things that um, they, they have a, a tendency to, to farm over there is cassava. And I'd never had cassava before. It's a, I guess, a root kind of thing. And, and I, you know, truthfully, I, I had some of it while I was there. I didn't really care for it. It wasn't my cup of tea. But the thing about cassava is it's an, it's an incredibly, incredibly, uh, efficient vegetable. It, uh, it has more nutrients and energy in it than almost any other vegetable. And the people in Fangahoon Village know how to grow it. So they started to talk about what would it look like if we were to, to develop our, our knowledge of the cassava and we were to begin to expa- export those things to neighboring villages and neighboring communities. And you know what they were describing to themselves, within themselves, and finding energy in was the development of an economy so that next time that they need wells, we don't have to show up and give them to them. They can get the wells themselves. They can get the bathrooms themselves. When their school needs more rooms, they can provide those themselves. We're not only giving them the gift of bathrooms and water, we're giving them the gift of independence and a future and it's not just because we're such good people I know myself I'm not always that good 
It's because we have been called by our God to live lives of faith, and faith is a verb. One last story. While I was in Fingerhoon, and no, I'm sorry, while I was in Bo, I was sitting at dinner one night and somebody came in and they said, Pastor Rob, you have a visitor. I was like, what? I can't have a visitor. <laughs> I don't know anybody here. Anyway, so I went out to the gate. There was a, a young man standing there. He introduced himself. His name was Ishmael. He said, you don't know me. But last month you received my father into membership at your church in Stafford, Virginia. What? He's a junior at university in Freetown. He'd taken a bus for four hours to come to the compound to say thanks to me and to all of you for the ways that we have loved and welcomed his dad into our congregation. And he gave me some presents. He gave me this shirt. First of all, I just want to just honor the fact he was a junior in college in Africa and had enough money to get me a present, right? That's impressive. Most juniors in college I know don't have any money at all. But he got me this shirt. I just want to point out to Pastor Monica, it is sleeveless so I too can show off my guns. <laughs> but the other thing about it was he, uh, he gave me this hat. And I was told by the people in Bo that this is a chief's hat. So I just wanted to give you for, fair warning. I'm going to be impossible to live with from here on out. <laughs> You see, sometimes Sierra Leone can seem so far away. And other times it seems so close. The children in that community are our children because they're Christ's children. And God has given us a chance to make a difference there. And the understanding that faith is a verb. And it won't be easy. And it may not work. But people of faith, people who follow Christ intensely, are willing to take great risks for the kingdom of God. So thank you, Ebenezer Church, for being part of something that may be kind of risky, but just might change the world. Pray great prayers. Take great risks. And remember that faith is a verb. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the odd and curious paths that are behind us and in front of us alike. For the people that you bring into contact with us and for the opportunity to influence their lives, to be touched and influenced by them. God, we we thank you for the birthright that is ours to speak to you, not as impostors, not as those who shouldn't be there, but as true sons and daughters of the King. We ask, O God, that you would help us to pray great prayers that focus on Christ, prayers that are intensely personal, prayers, O God, that champion your agenda. But not only that, we pray that you would also give us the courage to take great risks, remembering always who you are and that you will never, ever let us down. 
God, thank you for these people. Thank you for the opportunities we have had to do great work in the past and for the chance to continue to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ, the one who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.